It's Justin Glodish with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast with episode 59. This week, I have a superstar in the making. I've been watching his videos. He's got a great community online that he's developed over the past couple of years through the pandemic, and he's making this a full-time career. I'm going to be talking about that, his life and teaching, and amongst other things. His name is Chris Lombardi. Chris, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on, Justin. Absolutely. So Chris actually uh, has been teaching, I believe, in Jersey, uh, New Jersey for the past uh, 10 years or so and just took uh, the time to start pursuing music full time. And uh, Chris, uh, what led to that decision and uh, what were some things that really got you excited about pursuing music full time? Sure. So um, my background was in music. I went to college, uh, you know, originally for music, and that's what I studied my undergrad in. Um, and then after I finished school, you know, I kind of I dabbled in the music industry a little bit, you know, as a producer, as a writer, a couple of placements here and there. But it was it was a really tough grind. You know, it was really, really tough and really inconsistent. And I was gigging and stuff, but it wasn't going the way I wanted it to. And, and I wanted to get married. I wanted to propose to my girlfriend. So I'm like, I, I, need, I need something more steady than this. So that's what that's what prompted me to go back to school for teaching. So I went to graduate school and got my teaching. Uh, certification. And, uh, you know, I started teaching in, in 2011. You know, that was my first year teaching. I taught, I didn't teach music. I taught elementary school, uh, K through five, mm. and I taught uh, special education for a little bit um, as well. So I had been teaching, you know, for the last, um, for the past 10 years, but um, once we got sent home for COVID, you know, before we started up with virtual school and before we started up with virtual class every day, I had, had some extra time on my hands. So I started to, uh, I did a couple of little acapella projects, ended up getting some other teachers involved. We really started out with mostly just teachers because, you know, teachers had time and they, you know, they wanted the creative outlet and they were in their houses. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we did a couple of projects with them. Five people turned into, for, turned into 15, turned into 30. And now we have, we, you know, we have over a thousand members now in, uh, in Chris Lombardi acapella. That's pretty, that's pretty fantastic. Now, like when you say Chris Lombardi acapella, you actually talk about this full out community and not just yourself. And um, what's great is that uh, I'm going to be posting this in the episode description. Uh, Chris has, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. Discord is actually where the community pretty much meets, um, you know, and TikTok, which actually just has over 10,000 members in a very short amount of time uh, watching his videos. And um, a lot of the videos that I've, I've watched have to do with uh, video games, you know, and a lot of the video game music that you've created, it, it's nostalgia for me. I mean, you know, I'm in my late thirties and I'm, it's going back to my old, you know, Nintendo and super Nintendo days. And uh, so my question is, is like, what led you to really bring forth arrangements of the video game music? And, you know, what's your process like when you start putting those together? Yeah, sure. So um, as far as like the video game stuff and, and like we've been doing that pretty heavily because that's what's succeeding. That's what's succeeding for us right now. But mm -hmm. um, that that nostalgia aspect that you just hit on, like like that's what that's what I'm trying to tap into. Like that's one of the like one of the most powerful emotions I feel like you can feel like when you when you make somebody feel like that they're a kid again and you could mm -hmm. do that through music in like a unique way and not just, you know, playing a theme song or playing a theme that they've heard before. You know, that might do a little bit of something for somebody, but like to hear it in a completely new way and in a new light and flipped and stuff like that. 
like uh, people are, uh, you know, are really starting to enjoy that. So that's kind of why I'm doing more of that. Um, and we kind of like to try to brand um, kind of like to try to brand our different uh, social media platforms with what would suit people um, on that platform. So um, that's why we put a lot of that stuff on TikTok because that's what's doing well for us there. Whereas our YouTube and our Facebook, you know, we kind of do a little bit more traditional stuff that, you know, that might appear, uh, you know, appeal better to an older audience and the people that are on Facebook or the friends and family of our members. Uh, they like right. to share on Facebook a lot because that's where their friends and family are. So that's where they get the, you know, get the music to their people uh, the quickest. Um, but yeah, the process, the process for um, arranging I'm very not traditional. I'm very non-traditional. Um, I wish I was, you know, better with, you know, better with, you know, traditional theory and things like that. I'm like, I'm okay. I can like hold my own, but like, you know, I can't go go blow for blow with some of these, you know, incredible arrangers and musicians that are out there. So my process is, is very ear oriented, very, you know, experiment and very, and very trial and error. And since my background is in production, I take a very music producer approach to to my arranging. Like if I were going to make a track, if I were going to make a pop track, if I was going to make an R&B track, what would my process be for that? I would mm. be layering. I would be, you know, I would be trying out different patches. Obviously this is acapella. So there isn't any of that, but um, I usually like to start with a MIDI file of the, of the music that, that I'm going to be, that I'm going to be arranging. The MIDI right. is so great because it separates, it separates all the parts for you already. So it gives you a great baseline to start an arrangement from, as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, having to chart something out or having to ear something out and play it on piano. You know, I'm not strong enough to do that. My primary instrument is guitar and arranging acapella on guitar is pretty much impossible. So, <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, so I, I really do lean heavily on, on my production background and what I can do with production and, you know, sing a harmony. And then like, if I don't like how that harmony sounds, I can tune it in Melodyne until I like how it sounds and then re-sing it once I like how it sounds. And because I'm so fast with the controls, because I have the production background, I can kind of fly through them really quick, you know, just going by my ear without really having to play too much or, or you know, or know too much theory and things like that. Nice. Now, when you um, work with your um, collaborative community, um, how do you present it to them? Um, because my assumption is, is that they all have different backgrounds as well. You mentioned you have some teachers who need that musical outlet, but maybe somebody who just does it for the sheer joy, but might not be able to read music or, you know, how do you go about teaching it to your community of members? Sure. That, that, that's a great question. And that's something that we, um, that initially, I, you know, I struggled with, I struggled with tremendously when we were first getting this going is people were kind of, um, people were kind of trying to apply, you know, their background into, into the situation. And a lot of times I couldn't really see eye to eye with them because I just, you know, I don't have a choral background and so many of my members have a choral background and I do not have a choral background. I don't even have a, a vocal background, to be honest, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a musician, you know, I sing, I sing out of necessity. Singing is not really, is not really my passion, which is funny because I have an acapella group, but I just love making music and this is what's working right now. And I'm making good music and making people happy. So, so I'm in. Um, but initially we did have, that problem where, you know, a lot of my people, they wanted, they wanted charts, they wanted sheet music, they wanted to, they wanted to sight read. And I kind of eventually got people into my way of doing things. And I'm just like, look guys, I'm like, you know, this isn't chorus. This isn't a choir. I'm like, we're making a record here. We're making a studio record. We're going to sing in pieces. We're going to sing in chunks. We're not going to memorize and sing everything because this is how you do it in the studio. This isn't how we would do it for a live performance, but this isn't a live performance. And if we try to make it like that, it's not going to it's not going to translate as this fully complete pop record that, you know, that people are really going to want to listen to. We're like so I really shied away from the virtual choir uh, approach where you're given sheet music, you have a Zoom rehearsal, the director, the conductor is there to try to, to, to tell you all these things. I'm like, look, guys, I'm going to arrange 
I'm going to sing all the stems. You get in there and you just match me. You just match my stem. Everything that I do, you match it to the best of your ability. And then let me handle it from there on the production side of things. And I'll make I'll make sure everybody sounds great. So like that was kind of my approach. And it, it definitely took some people a while to get to get on board with that, because that's that's not traditional at all, obviously. Um, yeah. But I think once once the product started coming out and, you know, and, and people started seeing how how incredible they sounded and how great the product was and, and the feedback from their friends and family, I think people people bought in a little bit more. That's awesome. Now, I know that it, it probably varies. It, this is probably a loaded question to ask, but, you know, from the, the birth of we'll call it an arrangement, the birth of you providing, you know, these tracks to your community members, to the amount of time that you spend producing everything, putting it out there. What's the, what's the time frame like for that? Sure. Yeah. Um, and that entire, that depends on a few things. So, um, the, the biggest thing that that depends on, um, is, uh, is the length and the difficulty of the piece, because right. even though, even though we're, you know, we're not, it, this doesn't require memorization, uh, you know, on the front end, as far as the audio is concerned, you know, a very difficult piece and a complex piece. And actually, you know, a, a year ago, we were getting a lot of our pieces arranged by Sam Robson. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's, okay. he's pretty big on YouTube and he did um, he's arranged for committed and things like that. And he's, he's, he's got a couple of, a couple of videos that were big on YouTube. He's an incredible musician. I, I mm -hmm. recommend anybody who hasn't checked him out, go check out Sam Robson. But um, he asked me, he's like, how hard should I make these? And I was just like, go all out, dude. I'm like, make them as hard as you want. I'm like, because we're, we're singing these in pieces. We're not, we're never going to perform these live. We're a remote group. So go all out. And those pieces were incredible, but they were so complicated and they were so long. They were long and complicated. So ones like that, those could take, those could take months by the time I got all of my materials from my members, as far as audio and video is concerned. And then however long it takes me to mix it could be another, another couple of weeks after that. And then if we pl are planning on having a video, that's more elaborate. Cause I do the video editing as well. If we want a video that's more elaborate than just a virtual choir grid of faces with cuts and, and edits and color grading and all this stuff, depending on how elaborate and fancy I want to get with the video, that could be even, even more time. And, um, and we've been shying away from projects like that a little bit because I think people, even though they don't want to say it, I think people are def definitely getting patient when it takes, you know, a really long time for their, for their projects to get out. So right. right. What we're currently doing is we're currently doing shorter pieces. We're doing nice quick things that we can get quick in and out. You know, if we're doing a video game theme or a TV theme or something, something that hits hard, hits quick, that'll, that'll make people happy. And something that my members can get to me relatively quickly because they're, you know, they're super busy. They have their schedules. They're back to work. They're not at home anymore. Like we were for COVID. Like everyone had more time when they were home for COVID for sure. Everyone right. had more time. Um, so now we're kind of moving into the, into the short range. And right now we have a, we have a 10 day turnaround. So when I finish an arrangement and I post materials, I expect to get the materials back from my members within 10 days. That's, that's awesome. Now you bring up a great point. You know, um, we talked before, you know, obviously I hit record, um, you know, this podcast came out of the pandemic, um, this project, you know, you pursuing musical time came out of the pandemic and it seemed to be something that, um, more and more people have latched onto this idea of collaborating, um, virtually. And so I guess with your remote group, um, where, where is everybody from? Where are we talking just nationally? Are we talking globally? And um, yeah, so that, that's my first question on that. Are you finding that you're getting people from everywhere um, or is it mostly just um, kind of within this part of the country or is it nationally? Like, where's everyone coming from? Sure. So we, we, we for sure have, I would say probably around 80% of our members 
are, you know, are from the United States. I'm like, mm-hmm. for sure, most of our members are from the United States. We do have a few members, um, a few like regular members uh, from the UK. We do have a few regular members from Australia. We have a few regular members from areas of Eastern Europe. So we definitely are. We definitely are all over the world. And, um, you know, the time zone is, you know, can be can be fun sometimes, you know, like I'll check my Discord. It's like, oh, well, I'll check my Discord, like all the people from all the people from, you know, uh, from from Britain, and all the people from Australia have responded, you know, overnight and things like that, because they're, you know, they're awake already and things like that. But we're largely we're largely from from the U.S., but we do definitely have members all over the world for sure. That's awesome. Now, like I said, most uh, most of the people that listen to this podcast are typically educators or acapella enthusiasts. And, you know, me and myself, I'm not really familiar with how Discord works. Can you just give like a brief like idea of how you communicate with your members through discord. Um, you know, some people have told me it's, it's a newer way of what I guess instant messenger used to be, but there's mm-hmm. a little bit more bells and whistles. Um, what, what is discord and how, how has it um, benefited you? Yeah. The um, di- moving to discord, we started on, on Facebook because, you know, that's where I found all of my members. All of my members came originally came from Facebook at 99% of them. So we had a Facebook group and we were communicating through that. And my wife suggested to me that we, that I move, you know, I moved the group over to discord and I knew what discord was because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with, uh, I have like a lot of gamer friends and stuff like that. And they, they all use discord and stuff, but I kind of felt like it was in that, in that, like, area kind of felt like eh, I have a lot of older members. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get them to start using discord, but it truly right. is the, the, the greatest way to uh, disseminate information with a large group of people. Like it, you, you, you cannot ask for a better platform simply because everything is just, everything is housed in a specific channel. So when I open a project, it gets its own channel. Um, nice. If the, I, I have gear recommendations, microphones and, and, and green screens that I recommend that has its own channel. You can go into the gear section to find everything that I say about gear. We have a, we have just a channel where people just chit chat and just talk about things not related to the group. We have a channel where, you know, you can suggest, suggest reps, suggest songs that we're going to, that, that we might want to sing next and people can weigh in and, this, and discuss it there. Whereas it's so much better than on Facebook where everything was kind of just all in one spot and things could get buried immediately. You make a post and it just could just get buried within a day of other of other unrelated things. So it really does compartmentalize all of the important aspects of running the group. And of course, I have I have a channel that only I can speak in if I need to make an announcement. I can ask people to react to, to, to make sure that they've seen it, like react with this so that I know that you've seen that. And that way I know that the information has reached the people that it, that, uh, that it needs to. Um, it's just the absolute best way of um, of communicating online and disseminating information in like that compartmentalized way. Awesome. I, uh, I, I wish that they had something like that, uh, that was educational, educationally friendly for, you know, the classroom. Cause I, I feel like students use social media apps like this a lot better than they use, say their Google classroom or, you know, their school tool or whatever it may be. Um, just there because. is, there is, there is definitely, definitely look into it again. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not, I don't want to speak out of pocket here, but I'm pretty sure that there is a, there is a discord education um, plugin or variant um, that will sync with a, uh, with a, with a school address and things like that. And of course okay. it has, you know, all the, all the filters that, you know, that, that you would, that you would want and things like that. And you would have to get, you know, permission from the parents and things like that. But I do know that discord is trying to, is trying to break away from um, trying to break away from that. Just, you know, MLG memeing gamer type uh, type uh, situation. So I, I definitely think that um, that Discord in in the future, if not now, will 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 be used uh, will be used uh, more in education for sure because the kids are the kids are super familiar with it already. You know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I can tell just by watching. I teach middle school, so I can tell by just watching some of them. Like 
the amount of things that they are able to, like, I always tell myself, I feel like I'm getting too old when they start talking about things I don't know. And that, that starts scaring me, you know, it's starting to scare me when uh, they can talk about all these different social media apps and I'm still recalling my top eight on my MySpace and things like that. So, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> hey, you know what, if I can get, I mean, I, I think my oldest, some of my oldest members, you know, are, are likely in their, in their late sixties or early seventies. If I can get them using discord, then you can definitely, you can definitely get on board also. Awesome. You know, and that's, that's one of the things I really think is awesome about what you have going on is that, you know, this is universal. We're not just talking about folks in, you know, in their twenties or thirties, we're talking about people of all ages participating in creating music globally, you know, um, and going through, you had mentioned earlier, and I thought this was kind of cool. You have created basically arrangements that fit the niche of, whichever social media platform you're using, whether it be Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever. So, you know, scrolling through your Instagram, it's not just a few of the video game um, arrangements here and there, you know, you, you brought back the full house theme, you know, you mm-hmm. got, you got, you know, Super Mario Brothers and even video like Animal Crossing for the younger generation, just things like that. Wicked. I saw mm-hmm. one um, uh, come to your senses from Tick, Tick, mm-hmm. Boom. Just it's very, it's a very eclectic mix that should fit into everybody. Um, so I'm curious for you personally, um, what is your favorite genre that you like attacking and um, bringing out to everyone to listen to? Sure. Sure. This is going to, this is going to sound like a cop out, Justin, but when, when anyone asks me what my favorite, like, like either what music do you prefer for this? What do you like arranging for acapella the most, you know, I am just a sucker for a great tune. Like I'm just, mm. a, I'm just a sucker for an incredible melody with interesting accompaniment and something that, you know, what, you know, when it hits, it hits, you know, when, when you hear something, when you hear a great melody and, you know, and the accompaniment just goes so perfectly well with it. And it just, it just gives you that feeling. It's unexplainable, but you just know it when you hear it. And that's why, that's why I have no problem having, you know, such an eclectic, uh, such an eclectic choice of music. Number one, it, it, it makes me more money if to, to be eclectic because I, because I, I reach more people and the people who want to do my video game stuff are not the people who want to do either Dear Evan Hansen or Wicked or they're not the same people who want to do, you know, the Beeble Ave Maria. Those are not those are not all the same people. They're different. They're different groups of people. Um, but if, it, if it's a good song, if it's good music, then I'm then I'm in. I want to do it. Um, so and, you know, I also and going by what the audience like, you know, our, our audience's reaction is is also huge. I mean, like, I mean, what this is, this is what we're doing this to share it. I mean, like it would be great if I would do it anyway, if nobody heard it, cause I get the musical fulfillment out of it, but right. you know, to be able to reach all of these people who we wouldn't have reached otherwise. And then we're also tapped into all these people's families, people's friends and families. Like that's what's, that's, what's so great about this is that if you have like a local choir, you know, you're, 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 you're pretty much local and you know, some people might travel to come to see you, but if these people have relatives that don't live close by or that, or that they don't see very often, you know, it's, they, they can still, share it with all their with all their friends and family so i i am i am in for any any song that 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 gives me that feeling if it's got a great melody and if it and if it's accompanied well you know then i'm in no that's not a cop out at all like i agree you know one of the arguments that i always make and i mean you can feel free to to attest to this from at least from production standpoint is you know a lot of my students feel that a lot of the music that they listen to today just it's all the same. You know, they joke about the four chord song and how everything just very is so cookie cutter. And, you know, we talk about the hit factory, you know, all these songs that are just 
cookie cutter, same all around. And um, you mentioned finding a good melody, finding a good riff. So from a production standpoint, um, when it comes to, you know, putting all of these together, is, is there a, like, this is, I guess, is there a certain genre that you find easier to put together as opposed to most, or do you really just, you're cool. Like you mentioned, as many songs as possible, you know, you're talking about these, this group can do this, this group can do this. Do you find that you have, um, you know, when you put all these genres together, one of them is easier to dish out as opposed to others. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think um, from, from an arranging perspective um, I'll talk about the video game stuff first, the video game stuff, even though, even though I'm technically arranging it for acapella, what it largely ends up becoming, it largely ends up becoming, recreating the sounds that already exist in the video mm-hmm. game piece with my voice. Um, right. So yes, that's arranging, but, but not nearly, not nearly quite the same as some of my other pizza pieces that, you know, that I'm arranging from scratch, you know, just from the core changes of the, of the song. So, yeah. um, so for example, um, any of my video game stuff, while it's, while it's super fun, it's fun and it's quick and I can get it done in a half a day. I can get everything done in a half a day and people love it. And it definitely get, you know, it's, it's like, it's like the potato chips though. It really is like, Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. This is good. Let me do this. Whereas like, um, like our, our, our part of your world arrangement, you know, I've, I've been, I've loved, I've loved Alan Menken's music since I was a kid. I've, I, I knew as a kid when I knew nothing about music, I knew it was great back then. I'm like, these, mm-hmm. these songs are incredible. These are just incredibly written songs. These are beautiful. These are incredible. I didn't know why I loved them back then, but I loved them because they were great songs. So arranging a piece like that, you know, while that takes so much more, the song is so ingrained in my DNA that I felt like arranging it was what w- was hard and it was easy. Like it was only hard because I wanted it to be so perfect because I love the song so much. So right. that just that gives me way more musical fulfillment than, uh, you know, than recreating, you know, recreating, you know, you know, Sonic's Green Hill Zone, you know, with my voice. That's kind of right. just like, let me listen, let me sing. And there are some cool. Cho- I make cool choices and stuff like that. Or what Maybe I'll do this here. Maybe I'll do halftime here. Those are cool choices. And I love all of that. Um, but as far as like, uh, like the tick, tick, boom arrangement that come to your senses, all, all of our Disney stuff, the, the musical theater stuff, those, those, I really got to, you know, sink my teeth into and really think, okay, how do I want this? How do I want this to sound? And then sometimes it's, it's not hitting. Sometimes it's just like, Oh, like this part is not hitting. And I, you know, and then I just, I just step away because if you start forcing, if you start forcing things with all aspects of songwriting, it doesn't have to just be arranging songwriting, production, creating a track, you know, you know, playing on guitar, when you start forcing it's not going to be good. Oh yeah. And you know, it's, it's so funny you brought that up because one of um, our most recent guests, we talk about the journey of their arrangement, you know, and the guy, uh, his name's Connor Martin. He's in a group called black to gold. He basically talked about how he was in his college group, arranged the song and he brought it to this, this professional group that he has now, but it didn't work the same because, you know, he was arranging for, you know, 12 to 15 people in that collegiate group. And now it was just six of them, you know, and it was at a time where, he was arranging for the, for a competition, you know, what he felt that the judges of this competition wanted to hear, as opposed to what he felt stylistically would appease everybody at, rather than just the judges. And he said, basically over the past three years, that song has morphed into something completely different. They just released the, the, the single of it. And it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's phenomenal. And it's very different than what he said it was three years prior. So, you know, 
I, I can understand that, at least from my own songwriting perspective, when you start forcing something, you just got to kind of put it aside, maybe not come back to it for a week or two until your your head is clear, you know? And so I, I love that you bring that up because I feel like, especially with a lot of arrangers in, you know, in a secondary school setting or even a collegiate setting, college students, they might try and force it because they need to get, they, they have to reach a deadline or or whatever. But if it's, if it's not working, don't, don't force it, you know, let mm-hmm. it happen naturally, which I think is, is great advice. Yeah, precisely. Um, that, and yeah. that's, and that's one of the, that's actually one of the, one of the reasons why I've, why I've liked the group, why I've liked, you know, the, the creative process of working in the group and going back to when I, when I finished college, when I, when I, uh, you know, finished college and I wanted to do songwriting and I wanted to do production, you know, it did really feel like, feel like a job. Like it felt like, okay, I want to have this many songs in my catalog. So if we go to this meeting and then, you know, well, what's hot right now? Like I, I, my production style, like sounded like everything else. When I go back to my stuff from 15 years ago, I was just like, Oh, well, I know what I I was listening to when I made this track because it sounds exactly like it. So I was obviously trying to, you know, trying to fit into that box and like, and it just ended up not being enjoyable because like, like you said, you feel like you have to force it. You feel like you have to meet a deadline. You're, you're doing something other than, other than doing it for the enjoyment of music. Whereas in this group, um, you know, if I open a project, I open it because because I, I want to do it or my group wants to do it. I feel like it'll be, you know, it'll be a you know a good project to do. And if it doesn't hit and it doesn't sound good, well, th- then we don't do it and we can move on. And no one's going to tell me that I need to finish that project or I need to do it or that, you know, it's your responsibility now to make sure that this is good. It, I, I don't think anything amazing creatively um, happens when there's some, you know, overlord, you know, looking over you saying this better be really good. You know, you better make sure that this, that this comes out great. That's not what this is about. So that's one of the things that I've been enjoying about the group a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And because you have so many people too, there's so many different, um, you know, ways to approach it, you know, and you, you said you have your members who sing this or your members who sing this and you can build around them, which I think is fantastic. Now, because you have this production background, I'm very curious because this has always been a point of contention too, is um, every, I mean, I look at it ever since the eighties uh, when you started hearing more sampling um, happening in just regular music, you know, as, as acapella arrangers, people who arrange acapella, they really are more of the, I, I want to say imitation and creation to make something new as opposed to what sampling is in most music where you're, you're taking a snippet of something and recreating it or interpolation where you're taking something from a, you know, a song and then re rehashing it to fit your own, you know, style. So from a production standpoint, I'm just curious, um, what are your thoughts on the use of, you know, like a lot of today's music samples, a lot of, you know, nostalgic stuff from the seventies, eighties, and even nineties now, um, in music, what's your, what's your take on that? Do you, do you, are you cool with that? Or do you think, um, that originality is better? So um, as far as uh, I think what you're getting at is like, are you talking about like, you know, the use of other people's work, you know, in, you know, in a, in a new work, you know, because that's, that, that's a huge part of our culture, even not, not just in music, that's a huge part of our culture now also, where it's like the YouTube, the YouTube content creator will react to somebody else's content and then create something new. Right. So like, so, so make more and more derivative things are definitely, are definitely becoming, you know, a a part, but for sure in music, I think, um, in terms of samples, in terms of like using using somebody else's work, I think there's so much nuance, you know, in that area. And the, the first bit of nuance comes in, in my mind, in the length, the length of what you're sampling. So mm-hmm. the length of what you're sampling. So, for example, like um, the music producers use samples literally every day. It might be a kick drum sample. It might be a mm-hmm. snare sample, it might be a hi-hat sample. Those are all samples. 
you didn't create that kick drum. You didn't go into a studio, put a microphone in front of a kick drum, step on the kick drum, compress it, mix it, and send it to yourself to use. You didn't do that. You grabbed another another kick drum. Now, right. whoever made that kick drum is not out getting like, oh man, I can't believe all these people are using my kick drum. They're stealing my intellectual property. That was my kick drum. Nobody's right. doing that. And why are they not doing it? Because it's 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 just the sound of a drum. It's super mm-hmm. short. Now, when we start to get into areas where you're taking larger and larger pieces and eventually maybe just kind of just copying an entire song. Yeah. Now, we're, now we're getting into areas where it's where, where it's a little bit shadier, but the beautiful thing about, about today's age and how easy it is to share music and how you can reach hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people imme- immediately is the public's going to let you know if you do something like that, if you right. do something like that and the public's general consensus is that you're a jerk for doing that, or that you stole somebody's thing, or you're not original, you're a derivative, or you're just a copy of this. People are going to let you know that. That's what's so. That's what's so great about the, the, this era of being able to reach, of being able to reach so many people. Um, mm. I do think that I do think. But again, if you take a sample and you completely flip it and you make something completely new and interesting out of it that somebody's going to enjoy, that somebody's not going to think this is just a derivative copy of X, then right. people will enjoy it, and then they won't. They won't let you know. Then, then they'll say, "Great job, I love this." So yeah. it kind of I feel like it, it kind of, you know, society kind of handles handles these, this issue on its own. And I definitely think that in, in, in music, you know, the lawyers and the copyright lawyers are absolutely out of control. I think mm. I think with with how easy it is to um, to make something new, to flip it and make something new, the um, like intellectual property is just is just a little bit is just a little bit crazy and a little bit out of control in terms of music now. Like you can consume so much music, so much music for free. You can consume so much music for free. Why are we why are we hanging on to make sure that we get, you know, a, you know, a two cent royalty for this or a three cent royalty for that? Like I'm right. just kind of more of a live and let live somebody. If somebody samples something that I've done to make something that, you know, you know, then, you know, that I think that's great. I think that's awesome. And it's only going to do, it's only going to do better for me that, that, you know, that now I can be like, Hey, this used my sample. Hey, check it out. Now I have, now I have a zillion, you know, a zillion clicks on, on social media because that story blows up, you know, and around and around we go. I really feel like society kind of, kind of handles a lot of that for us. And we, we need fewer lawyers, fewer copyright lawyers in music, I think. I, th- I love that perspective, you know, just because we look at, you know, some of the music out today. One of the big examples that I, I talk with my students about is um, Uptown Funk, you know, Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson. And the students didn't realize there's like actually like three or four songs that have, you know, interpolation or interpolated sections of it. And then, you know, there's a, there's a group at BYU who actually puts all of these, these videos together that shows it to you. And they actually will speed up or slow down and line up the tracks to just show you how they're similar. And it raises a lot of questions about, you know, is this morally or, or ethically, you know, wrong or whatever, but you bring up a great perspective saying, you know, if someone's borrowing my stuff, Hey, that means that they took the time to even listen to my stuff. And I can say, Hey, this is my mm-hmm. stuff on this here, you know, and it hopefully leads more people to come to you, For sure. you know? So I, that, thank you for answering that question that way, because now I feel a lot better about how, how I feel about it as well, you know? Sure. And just um, to add on real quick, Justin, I'm sorry, yeah. just to add on real no. quick, you know, the, the, the amount of truly original stuff that's out there is, is virtually zero. You know, there's only 11 notes, you know, there's only yeah. 11 notes and, you know, and, 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 you know, imagine, imagine where we would be if, if the first person to use a one, four, five progression was coming after everybody who used it. Like it, well, that sounds like my song. Look, I can match them up and they sound the same. Get out of here with that. Get out of here. Yeah. There's only 11 notes. There's very few a- little actually, actually original things that are out there. And, you know, if I put a two-year-old onto my piano 
and he starts sitting on it and crashing on it and banging on it, that would be original. That would, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be original. But nobody will want to listen to that, even though it's amazingly <laughs> original. Nobody right. will want to listen to that. So I think uh, I, I I definitely think that it's um that we we all need to just we all just need to relax on the this sounds like this. If I ch- if I take this and transpose it down three steps and I speed it up by twenty BPM, I can put it on top of this track and have it sound like it, and it sounds like the same song. Get out of here. You can do that yeah. with so many things. And like you said, the four chord song where they where they can show you how many songs use use this. Are those all are those people all coming after each other for copyright? So there's right. a lot of gray area. Uh, there's a lot of gray area with that. And I think that like, you know, the like the, the you stole my song needs to be saved for the truly, truly egregious moments where somebody actually steals somebody's song. Right. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Um, now, one other production question for you, uh, especially because, because it has to do with producing voices. You know, you had mentioned, you know, guitarist by nature. Um, when it comes to adding effects on vocals, um, you know, are there, you know, listening to s- some of your video game tracks, it's like you got some some really cool effects going on to uh, each of your voice parts to really match what it, it's, it's really very close to what we would normally hear in the video game. It's got that eight bit kind of feel almost. Mm-hmm. So what are, um, you know, what are some, first of all, I'm curious as to which uh, DAW you use, um, mm-hmm. you know, what program you use, and then what are some of the, um, you know, filters, what are some of the effects that you end up using to achieve the sounds that you want? Sure. Sure. Um, so as far as, as far as DAW, I, I use, I've used several over the years right now um, because I'm doing primarily a lot of a lot of vocal editing. Um, you know, depending on what you're going to do, um, it might steer you in the direction of a DAW. So because I'm using doing a lot of vocal editing right now, I'm using Acoustica Mixcraft because I feel like it's just the fastest for vocal editing. But okay. I, I want to disabuse everyone of the notion that the DAW that you use dictates any of the music you make within that DAW because that's just completely not true. You can you can make a you can make a banger in Audacity and you can make garbage in Logic. You know, like mm-hmm. so you, you, it doesn't dictate any of the any of the music you're making. So I always recommend to people when they're choosing their DAW, whatever is going to get them to the music, the quickest and easiest, that's what they should use. That's the one that they should use. Whatever's going to get you to creating uh, and songwriting and, and and doing actual music the quickest. That's the one that you should uh, that you should use. So right now I'm using Acoustic and Mixcraft. Um, as far as the um, as far as the effects that that are on that are on my uh, on my vocal tracks, my vocal chain is actually is actually relatively simple. And people have asked me before, oh, are you using some sort of filter or some sort of you know effect on your voice to make it sound 8-bit? And the answer is almost almost always no. And mm. what's so interesting about this is it's it just goes to show you that it that the song and the arrangement is really what's making you feel like that song is 8-bit. That's what's yeah. really making it making it feel like that. It's 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 the song. It's the arrangement. It's how close the it's how close the tones are. It's the fact that the Nintendo that the Nintendo system only had four lanes to record tones on. So when you kind of do that in acapella and you jam everything onto four lanes and you have those really close harmonies, you'd be like, wow, that sounds eight bit. It only sounds eight bit because you're 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 remembering the original track because that you you have the nostalgia. You remember what it sounded like and you're you're mm-hmm. connecting those two things and that's largely largely what it is. Um, but as far as my vocal my uh, my vocal effects and my vocal chain goes i keep it pretty simple um you know he- heavy compression I-, I like my things to have have a, a very distinct very very pop sound i like my you know i like my vocals very compressed i like them very upfront very in your face same thing with my vocal percussion with my drums very hard hitting very in your face like i i, I want it to bump 
And I think that that's, that's largely my approach towards, towards acapella in general, because I'm, because I'm, I'm a producer. I'm not, I'm not an acapella. I don't have an acapella background. You know, I have a pop mm-hmm. music background. So that's kind of like kind of my perspective and what informs my production style with acapella as well. And right. I think that that's, I think that that's what's a, a lot of people, um, especially, you know, the, the younger people on TikTok and things like that. I think that's what's drawing them to the sound a lot is because acapella music, you know, when, if, if it's done poorly, it can, it can sound cheesy. I always, say it's, it sounds like Andy Bernard from the office. Like if you're, if you're, if you're sounding like Andy Bernard from the office, like you're, you're like you're in the cheesy zone. So I always try to extract some of that cheesiness out of it to make it a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more relatable, a little bit more applicable to people who might not like acapella or might not have ever even listened to acapella music. I mean, let's be mm-hmm. real. The people that my stuff is showing up, showing up to, you know, on TikTok, they might not, they might have not, not never even listened to Pentatonix ever. They might have never mm-hmm. listened to them. You know, they might they might only just know the video game music and think that it sounds cool because it sounds like it. So that's right. kind of my approach with that. But on the other hand, our more traditional stuff that I do want to sound authentic, that I do want to sound like voices that I might not compress as much. I might not put a, put compression on on a choir piece at all because I want to leave all of the dynamics intact. I want to leave it, uh, leave it sounding authentic. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to align the vocals perfectly and tune the vocals perfectly because that I will always do because I, I always right. want things to sound nice and clean and, and sound perfect. But I might not overproduce it nearly as much as I produce, you know, one, one of the video game pieces, you know, with the really heavy vocal percussion and things like that. It's all about what, you know, you know, what the track is and what, what will make for the best sounding record for that track. That's always my goal when I'm when I'm putting something out. I don't worry about authenticity. I don't worry about, oh, well, I don't want to tune their vocals too much because that's not their authentic sounding voice. No, 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 no. I'm making records here. I want to make something that's enjoyable to listen to and something that people will want to play again after they finish listening to it. Not something that's, that's a novelty or that's a recreation of something that sounds live. I think that that's overrated. I think that we should save that for live music. Live music is beautiful and in its own right. And live music should have its space. When you go into the studio, I don't want my things to sound live because you have all the tools at your, at your disposal to make things sound perfect and to sound like a really great record that people want to listen to over and over again. And if somebody wants to hear a live vocalist, with all the imperfections and the, and, and, and all of that and find the beauty in that, that's what live music is for. Nice. And um, I actually had a question. Uh, I have two questions left actually for you. Uh, the first one is in going back to, you know, Chris Lombardi acapella and the, the community that you have. Um, do you ever get like, I'm curious about the quality of recordings that you receive because um, you know, everyone might not be able to invest in say a condenser mic or a sure, you know, SM 58 mm-hmm. or whatever that may be. So um, how, how challenging is it to put all of that together? Do you, do you find that majority of your members actually do give you high quality audio that you can work with, or do you get some that are just, I don't know if I can use this. Can you try again? Kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that. Cause that's something that we, um, that, you know, over these two years that we've been, that we've been building this, we've gotten, we've gotten much better at over, uh, with that amount of time. And, um, again, my, my background in production has, has helped me a lot with this. And, and this is, and this is one of the reasons why, and like, you know, I, I always sound like kind of like an arrogant jerk when I say this, but you know, the, the virtual choir stuff that, that, that is out there, most of that, I don't want to listen to. 
Most of that I don't want to watch. I don't want to listen to. And I don't want to see another one of those. And it's no knock against the people putting those together. Those people, I'm sure, are phenomenal choir directors. I'm sure they're amazing choir directors and they wanted to try to keep it going when their choir got shut down for, you know, for the pandemic. And they wanted to do something for their choir. And I, I super duper commend them for that. But they're still choir directors. You know, they, they don't have the background on pr- in, in production and in making a record. So that's that's my background. I could never be a choir director. I don't know the first thing about directing a choir. I couldn't conduct. I would look like a fool. I don't really know the ranges of the part. I, I don't know any of that. So I would be terrible at that. On the flip side, I knew exactly how to how to instruct my members to get, you know, the, the sound as, as good as possible. So the first thing that we did was I, I compiled a list of, of recommended microphones that are inexpensive and of decent mm-hmm. quality. That's the first thing that I, I needed to do, because if people wanted to do this multiple times with me, they would definitely need a microphone. So that's definitely a prerequisite for the group. You know, you really should have an external microphone or a USB microphone at the very least. Mm-hmm. The next thing that that ensures the quality is embracing the fact that we're all recording in our homes. So none of us are in a studio besides me. None of us are in a studio. We're all in our, in our houses and houses have reflections. Houses have high ceilings. Houses have noise that's outside. Houses have all of these things that can ruin a recording. Right. So we make sure we, I make sure that my members uh, send me a mic check and they follow, you know, very specific instructions to make sure that they get the most out of their microphone, primarily being to keep the volume incredibly low, 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 incredibly low, low volume on your microphone, because especially those condenser microphones, a Blue Yeti or a Snowball, those are sensitive mics. Those are pretty sensitive mics. They pick up a lot. So get the volume really low, get nice and close to the microphone. We make sure that we don't clip. And what that does is it gives me this nice, close, I like a really close mic, close mic sound for my, for my choirs. Get as, as direct of a signal as I possibly can. And when we turn down the volume super duper low, that cuts down on all the room reflections because they're not in treated rooms. They're not in a studio. They're not in a vocal booth. If if, if, uh, if there's a lawnmower outside, it's going to get picked up if your mic is even at medium volume. So I make sure that it's super duper low so that I'm only getting them and I'm not getting all this outside noise. And then I'm fortunate enough, you know, I have the background in production, you know, I know how to clean vocals. I know how to make sure that I know how to do noise reduction. I know how to EQ them. I know how to do all of that stuff. So uh, we've gotten so much better with vocal quality because the members have really, you know, have trusted, you know, my level of expertise. And I make sure that every member has got to send me a mic check before they can sing for me. And then Inevitably, when I get a new member, I get a mic check in. The two questions I ask, I ask are what microphone was it and how far away from it were you? And they're always this this far away from their microphone. I'm sure you can hear the, the, change, the change in the sound. They're always super far away from their microphone. I'm like, how far away were you? They're like, oh, eight inches, 10 inches, 12 inches. I'm like, nah, get right up on that thing. Get that super mm-hmm. duper close sound. It's a sound that you usually don't want in the studio because you have a nice isolated room. So you don't want the sound to be super close. You can back up a little bit and you won't get any reflections or any room sounds, but we're recording in our homes. So I make sure that we get that super close sound. Smart, smart. And the last question I have is actually, um, you know, for anyone who's listening to this episode and isn't a part of Chris Lombardi Acapella, how do they go about uh, becoming a member and uh, getting to work with you? Sure, absolutely. So, Pinned on any of our social media, I'm sure you'll you'll drop the you know the social media links you know in the description. Yep. Um, pinned in any of our social media um, pages, there's always a link to join our Discord. Everything runs through Discord, so um, that's where you go if you want to sing with us. And it, it can definitely be daunting, but we have we have a great group of people who make sure that they you know that that new members feel comfortable. And we have a full tutorial that's on YouTube that tells you from beginning to end exactly what you what you will require to be able to participate. That's a video that anybody can watch and refer to at any time. Um, um, so Discord is where it's all happening. It's discord.link slash CLA, discord.link slash CLA. So anybody who wants to do any project with us, that's how they would start. 
as soon as somebody joins, you'll be welcomed by either me or one of our admins and we can uh, we can get you rolling. All of our projects will be on the side. Um, exactly what channel to go to to start to watch the full tutorial will be right there. And then from there, you know, you, you, you drop your mic check and, and you're rolling. Awesome. So ladies and gentlemen, if you want to take part in Chris Lombardi acapella and, and join on any of those projects that he has, um, I will be posting all of these links, uh, including Linktree, Discord, everything um, up into our episode description for this episode. So uh, Chris Lombardi of Chris Lombardi acapella, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Aka Education Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We'll be right back.